0: Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me there. Our text will be found in verses 2 through verse 13. If you do not have a Bible, we have some up here for you. There's also some downstairs in the visitor's table. If you're visiting with us, do not have a Bible, we would love to give that to you as a gift. It is like today is like off-the-scale gorgeous day outside this is an amazing time of the year. I love the colors as well. And I am glad that you are here. You know, I, I've talked with a number of folks. There's a lot of there's a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety that seems to exist um, right now for many people, in, in, in many minds, in many hearts. Um, the reason, and I think you may have heard about this on the news, I'm not quite sure, in two days, uh, we have an election um, 48 hours from now many of you go to a booth uh, to vote by God's grace we are blessed to live in a country with the freedoms that we have um, but I-, I think you would agree it seems to be an unusually difficult time uh, to vote I-, I heard a poll recently um, that 95% of people are sick of polls I- I think <laughs> I think you would agree with that. No, but in all honesty, I did hear a poll. It said that 82% of people in America, literally, and the word, this is the word, okay, are disgusted with kind of the direction of where we are heading. 82% of people. There's 12% that said they're excited about Tuesday. So all, all of that, before we get into this, and this is such an amazing text to kind of refocus our mind and our hearts on really what's important on the glory of God. But could, could I just remind you that, that you can be assured the day after, okay, the election, on November the 9th, it will bring another day of God's perfect sovereignty. I, I want you to understand that he will still be in charge. His throne will still be occupied, and he will still manage the affairs of this whole world. Okay, understand this that never ever in the history of all mankind has the providence of God been dependent upon a particular king or a prince or president or ruler at any time. God can handle whoever is elected and therefore so can we. It says this in Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1, "The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river." He can direct it as he pleases. If you recall throughout the history, God spoke to one of the most wicked and powerful rulers ever, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. God used a wicked king of Assyria to help in the construction of the temple. God used a horrible Horrid King Cyrus to let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. God humbled one of the proudest and strongest rulers of his day, King Nebuchadnezzar, to seven years of humility. Believe me, okay, when I say that God is not worried, and I don't want you to be, I don't want you to lose sleep over this. Daniel chapter 2 says that he removes kings and he sets up kings. So as we have a responsibility on Tuesday, may may I remind you, I, I, I cannot and I will not tell you who to vote for. Please pray, first and foremost, that God will give you wisdom. Vote according to biblical principles. And when you disagree with someone, and I am certain that you will probably disagree with someone, please understand that is not a cause for disunity within the body of Christ. We are to be known by our love for one another. Finally, Paul tells Timothy what in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He urges us. What is our job? To pray, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, for all those in high positions, in authority, that they may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's really our job description more than anything else. And let me remind you in Philippians chapter 3 that what? Our citizenship is not here. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that on November the 9th, the day after, we will be one day closer to the return of the Lord? Let, let, me, let me remind you of those things. Rather than you be anxious and worked up about Tuesday. This is a perfect text. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit in his arranging and ordaining of preaching schedules allows this to be our focus. Where we get a glimpse, the transfiguration. We get a glimpse of the glory of God. We need to pray first and foremost. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's help as we look into and Lord willing learn from his word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I, I thank you that we can come to you, our, our holy and heavenly Father, and we come to you as your own children. Lord, positionally, we have been adopted into your family through the work of Christ. We praise you. I praise you for the work of justification. Justification. Lord, that what was in the past is in the past and that when we acknowledge our sin and we ask for you to forgive us as our Savior that has paid the price, we have an amazing role and responsibility as followers of you. God, we we need your strength. I need your strength. We need right now the power of your Spirit to assist us to be obedient. We, We live in interesting, fascinating, thrilling, and yet terrifying days. God, I would ask that through, through your word and for a few moments, you would speak to us. Please, please, Lord, I am desperately and yet gloriously reliant upon you. Please guard my mind and my mouth from saying anything, anything that would not exalt the name of Jesus and bring glory to you and edify and build up this body. Lord, please, please do with all of us as you see fit. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, the gospel of Mark. I, I, I hope it's becoming more and more obvious. I know we get kind of glimpses and snippets along the way. I hope it's becoming clear that the first half, we've just just passed halfway, the first half of the Gospel of Mark focuses on who Christ is, that that, that, that is his person. The second half that we are now introducing focuses on what Christ must do. That is his purpose. And the hinge moment kind of swings from what Peter, speaking on behalf of the other disciples, says in chapter 8, verse 29, when they realize, they recognize, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the one, the son of the living God. Now, we know since that moment, since Uh, Peter spoke those words. Jesus also says, but I must suffer. I must be rejected and I must be killed. And the whole story kind of swings where the disciples were like excited and thrilled about this idea of triumph, about the kingdom of God to one of tragedy. You're going to suffer? And then if we're followers of you, we're going to suffer as well? So we understand here, last week we talked very specifically that, that, that what to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to cause you, it's going to cost you and I this cross-bearing, self-denying loyalty. If Jesus Christ is to suffer, we are his followers, then guess what? Guess what? We have to be prepared to suffer as well. Last week. This week, there's a whole other side. There, there's another side to the life of, of a Christ follower. And it is amazing and thrilling and exhilarating. Not not only will we share in his rejection, but we look forward to sharing in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a little tiny glimpse of what we are going to enjoy for all of eternity. We get a little tiny glimpse. But we will literally bask and bathe and live in for all of eternity, we get a glimpse of that today at what is called Mount Transfiguration. Um, um, we read this. There's a lot of times, I, I remember um, in Sunday school class when there's a picture of like a glowing Jesus on the mountain. And you have to kind of ask, can I, can I have like the, the yellow crayon, please? And, and you, you color this like this is Jesus glowing. I've always loved this story, but there has been a part of me that's like, so why exactly, like why does Jesus go through this? Why? Because he reveals, and we're going to get a a glimpse, his glory is his resplendent beauty, his magnificence, his fame, his eminence. We get to see that through this text this morning. Here it is, Uh, Mark chapter 9, We pick it up in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, with them but Jesus only as they were coming down the mountain he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead so they kept the matter to themselves questioning what what this rising from the dead might mean and they asked him why why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come and he said to them Elijah does come first to restore all things and how it is written of the son of man that he should suffer many things that elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him okay you you know that i love alliteration and um in this text like there are t's that just like jump out all over the place. So I just just hug the text, okay? Just so that you know that we see this in verse 2, twice in verse 2, we see this in verse 4, we see this in verse 9. Number one, here's the first T. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Number one, Peter, excuse me, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Three disciples... James and John, sons of Zebedee, they're referred to as sons of thunder. They're they're brothers, and Peter, the leader of the pack, so to speak. It's interesting, and there's no doubt that these three particular disciples form kind of a close inner circle around Jesus. Some people would struggle with that. Like, does he love these guys more than the rest of the disciples? Absolutely not. He loves them all equally but they're closer to him. These are the first disciples that Jesus called. They are clearly the most mentioned of all of the 12. Now, we don't have a lot of kind of detail, but there's parallel passages to this particular text. And in Luke chapter 9, it gives a little bit more detail about these guys. It says this in verse 28, And he took with him Peter and John and James, went up to the mountain to pray, Pretty similar to what we read in Mark chapter 9. But in verse 32 it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Now, if you you think of Peter and and these guys, for some reason it seems that there's several different occasions where they're drifting off on Jesus. They fall asleep. In, in a couple weeks, months, however long it takes, we'll get to Mark chapter 14 when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to, to pray the night that he was betrayed and arrested. And if you recall, it says what? That Jesus rose from prayer and found his disciples sleeping for sorrow. Now, we have this idea that for some reason, Peter, James, and John, although they're closest to Jesus, anyone they have a really tough time with staying awake. to falling asleep on the job all the time. You kind of wonder, like, why is that? If you recall, it, it says in Luke chapter 22 that, that Jesus found them sleeping for sorrow. What news had the disciples just heard about that Jesus was going to suffer, that Jesus was going to be rejected, that Jesus was going to die? We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, they know what is coming. And what happens, how do you feel when you experience sorrow or sadness? In a sense, you've just received news and it's bad news all the way along. How how do you often, don't you find, even with this pending, like what in the world is going to happen to America after Tuesday? There's a sense of doom and sorrow. What is the response? People oftentimes just, let, let's just pull the blankets up over our heads and let's just, let's just sleep it off. Isn't that what happens oftentimes when we get discouraged? Where we just like, we, we just want to stay, what? We want to escape that way. That is exactly, in a sense, how these three who are closest to Jesus feel. Thus, the reason they simply are exhausted. Let's just escape. It, it says that Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain. Interesting that nowhere is this specific mountain named. And so we do not know specifically, but if you recall earlier, it says that they're in Caesarea Philippi. Well, the highest Um, Mount in Caesarea Philippi is actually the highest mountain in all of Israel it's literally as far north it's the furthest north it's the highest it's literally on the Syrian border it's called Mount Hermon almost 9,000 feet high matter of fact there's a ski resort even to this day on top of Mount Hermon. How high is that? Some of you I know are hikers and and climbers and you've been to the highest peak in the state of Maine, Mount Katahdin. That's only 5,269 feet. Some of you have driven to the top of Mount Washington, New Hampshire. That's only 6,289 feet. The closest that we can think of like height-wise that we have in our country is a very famous Yosemite's Half Dome, 8,000 feet. 839 feet. This is a significant hike that these guys are on. Almost 9,000 feet. The, the, The highest and the furthest north on Mount Hermon, probably exhausted at night. It's dark. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Secondly, we see Jesus was transfigured before them. In the second part, latter part of verse 2, it is probably, arguably, the most understated, what we would say under-described word or words or phrase in all of the Bible, in all of Scripture. And he was transfigured before them. And you're like, come on. Mark, like, can you give us a little bit more Here, like, is that the best that you can do? He was transfigured. One verb. There's no adverb. There's no description. There's no specifics. He was transfigured. Well, what in the world does that mean? The Greek word is metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. Literally, it means to change into another form. Jesus before them is changing into another form, and that's the best that you can come up by way of a description that's here. Parallel text, Luke chapter 9, Matthew chapter 17, the same word, metamorpho. What's interesting is there's two other references using the exact same word, Romans chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it doesn't speak about Jesus being transformed or transfigured. It actually speaks about us. Do you realize that? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's the same word, transfigured. We are totally different, what? After Christ. We're totally different when we understand, we get a glimpse of the glory that awaits us. He changes us as we become more and more, what? Into into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says his body was changed on the outside Obviously, nothing changes on the inside. He is still God. And the other parallel gospel references, Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 9, add a little bit more of a description. It says that his face shone like the sun. Mark doesn't include that. Mark is just light and fast all the way through. And yet, yet the other, the other accounts... He, he shone like the sun. When and I were driving last night and the sun was setting and you've driven into the sun before and, and it's like it's blinding you. It was beautiful sunset. And you, you pull your little visor down, you got sunglasses and it's still blinding. you. Ever, have you ever stared at the sun before? That kind of brightness? That's the face of Jesus. And, and to be perfectly honest, as much as we kind of have that description, it's kind of hard to fully comprehend or understand. Like, I, I'm not quite, like, how? How does this happen? What, what What does this look like? There's a little bit more of a description, which again, I don't think it 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 describes it fully. It doesn't give it justice. It It, it kind of sounds, and I don't want to be disrespectful or irreverent in any way, but it kind of sounds like, like a commercial for a really, really good clothes detergent or something like that. L- listen to this description. It says that his clothes became radiant, intensely white, like no one on earth could bleach them. I know you moms that are are quite proud of the fact that you can get any grass stain out of your son's knees, okay? My, my mom, she was like a master at this. We'd slide head first, and she I got it. I got it taken care of, no problem. Whatever she did, it was like a secret mixture that moms have you share amongst yourself, okay? Like the white baseball pants, we can't get them too dirty, no, no. no. Get them dirty, because I got this covered. That's the way moms think. That's kind of the, the description of what I'm getting here. And yet, it's more than that. It says intensely. Another translation uses the word dazzling white. It's the Greek word stilbo. It means to glitter like facets reflecting, like diamonds. That, th- that doesn't even touch... that have been bleached. This is like what? A face that is shining like the sun and and he is arrayed wearing garments that are like sparkling diamonds. Brilliance. And we say, whoa. On top of this, what? They have just hiked 9,000 feet. They're exhausted. It's probably the middle of the dark. And all of a sudden, he is transfigured. Why? Because Jesus has a message. that I want to give you a glimpse. I want to give you a little tiny look about what is in store. Thirdly, Jesus was talking. We see this in verse 4 to Moses and Elijah. Sounds pretty simple, right? And there appeared Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, we know Old Testament, Elijah never died, but he's been gone at this point about 850 years. Moses has been dead for more than 1,200 years, and they just show up and they're talking with Jesus. And you're like, well, kind of like, what, what, what exactly? What do you talk about with a guy who's been dead for the last 1,200 years? It was the conversation. Again, parallel passage, Scripture with Scripture. Luke chapter 9 and verse 31 adds a little detail. It says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, which in a sense they're probably as well. And it says that they spoke of his departure. They're talking about his departure. And it says, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What is happening here? Get the picture. Two great figures, great figures of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, representing the law, that would be Moses, representing the prophets, that would be Elijah, and they're talking about the soon-to-be-coming departure, which is the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is happening literally within a couple months, all taking place in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus, in a sense, saying, hey, guys, I got a lot planned here. The old, like like you, the old will be no longer. The Passover, it's not needed. The sacrificial system, it's done. I am here. And together, what? New Testament witnesses, James, John, and Peter, Old Testament witnesses, literally prophets, Moses, and Elijah, are seeing firsthand he, him, glowing like the sun, is the fulfillment, the completion, every part, every little iota of his father's plan to redeem. There is nothing, there is nothing more that is needed apart from Christ. Now, as a witness here, there's an immediate reaction, and, oh, Peter's got to open his mouth. Peter Peter has something to say, and I think in all honesty, if you think about this scene, it's dark, it's late, they're exhausted. The whole thing is shocking and terrifying, to say the least. When you and I are nervous, okay, we say some really dumb things. Remember when I I met, this is like, remember when I met Sylvester Stallone, like literally Sylvester Stallone? I grew up, like, watching Rocky Balboa, like, this is the man. And I got him, and I, literally, I'm like, this is it? That's what I said, like, this is it? Like, he's this big? Are you serious? <laughs> we just say, like, we, we don't think, and we just say things. We're like, whoa, uh, he can still snap me in two, but this, this is it? And, and I think, in all honesty, we've got to give... We've got to give Peter a little bit of grace here because he makes a statement that goes down in the annals of history as one of the dumbest statements that anyone could ever say. Verse 5, here it is, Rabbi. It is good that we are here. (laughs) Did you come up with that all by yourself? Are you serious? God is revealing himself in all glory a good thing isn't it that's basically what he says and then he says what let us make three tents and you're almost like no no don't 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 say it oh I'm gonna make a tent for you like we we have to make you a tent God we're we're gonna make one for Elijah we're gonna make one for Moses we'll sleep outside we don't need need one we're just cool to be here and and what we can we, we can stay Uh, It it does add in verse 5 of Mark chapter 9, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter Peter makes a statement that perhaps is one of the most um, silly statements. Luke is a whole lot more blunt, okay? Luke says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, not knowing what he said. he He didn't even know what he was saying. It's hard to describe um, how far off this statement is. Like, this is so amazing. You know what I thought of? Have you ever ridden like a a really big, bad, nasty roller coaster? Like the big ones, the monster ones? Okay, I'm not talking about the little little girly ones. I'm talking about where you kind of like have a slow ride up to the top. Okay, when you're at the very, very top, the really good roller coasters, in a sense, they kind of tip you, and they kind of hang you there just for a second or two. Okay, let's like, like do, do. it'd be like at that moment, that apex, let's just stay here, let's just hang here, let's, let's live up here for a while. How, how silly is that? Like, really, how silly is that? Do you, you ever jump out of a plane before? Have you ever been skydiving? I've never done that. Jay Gaunt did. He was bragging recently. and I said, I would never do that. I would do it if I had to do it. But he's talking about the moment you jump out, there's just this adrenaline surge. It's like, oh, it'd be at that moment. Hey, let's just stay here. Let's just float up here forever. That's kind of like in a little tiny earth. That's kind of what Peter is saying here. Thankfully, the Lord speaks, and in a sense, just Peter, shut your mouth. And and, and in a sense, what? A cloud overshadows them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved. This is my beloved son. I love these words, these next words. They're They're for Tim Boger. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. Remember when we intro Mark in chapter one, we talk about the baptism of Jesus and there was a voice that came from heaven and it sounded what? What? Pretty similar. You are my beloved son. I am well pleased. What, what happens here? God, God the Father endorses the ministry and the mission that Jesus is on. In other words, for you and I are what? You better listen to him, It resonates. It echoes with Deuteronomy chapter 18 when Moses was the leader, the prophet, in a sense, was the speaker. The idea was what? If anyone does not listen to the messenger, then they are rejecting the one who sent him. Do you realize what is happening here? God is saying what? If you do not accept my son, then you do not accept me. If you don't accept my son, if you don't listen to him, then you're missing me altogether. You do not accept me. And in verse 8, it says what? Suddenly, suddenly, immediately, looking around, they no longer saw anyone. I love these words. But Jesus only. In an instant. As quick as they appeared, they disappeared. Wait a minute, Elijah was just there and Moses was just there. Now they're gone. I love the I love the subtlety, but I love the strength of those last words. Everybody's gone. But Jesus only. Oh, Oh, to realize that He alone is sufficient. He will never, ever leave us. He will never forsake us. But Jesus only, every need is met. Every burden, every care that you have, Jesus carries that. Every part of the entire plan to redeem and rescue mankind is executed perfectly. But Jesus only. It's still not all. There's there's a plan, there's order, there's instruction, fourthly and finally. Jesus told them to tell no one yet. Very important. Jesus told them... To tell no one yet, tell no one in verse nine what you have seen until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Have you ever have you ever heard someone say, not yet? Like you're waiting, it's it's like Christmas time and 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 presents are like wrapped in there. No, 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 not yet. And the anticipation and the excitement, like you just can't wait precious young couple that is engaged. And, and what? No, no, not yet. You, you're not to enjoy that yet. Not yet. And it builds the sense of excitement. God has something that is so amazing in store. They, they don't know exactly what, and there's questions. They don't know what it means to rise from the dead. What do you mean to rise from the dead? And they ask, what, what does it mean about Elijah coming and so Jesus is a descending the hill takes a teaching moment here and he says Elijah Elijah has come John the Baptist was that voice crying in the wilderness and what they did to him they killed him they will do to me But Jesus says what I want you to hope in I want you to know this I will not stay dead I will not stay dead and it is implied, okay, when I rise, you better tell everybody. Don't, don't tell anyone what you have seen yet until I rise. But when I rise, I tell you what, you better be telling everyone. We, we have a glimpse of looking back at the tomb of knowing that Jesus did rise from the dead. Do you realize that this physical body that we have, that we're... Okay, ends, like, it it ends 78.8 years on average. Some of you are buying time right now. Spend some time. Walk through a cemetery and be reminded, every one of us, physically, our bodies will die. But, but there is hope. There is good news. There is Glory that awaits us. Why? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. That we are redeemed and rescued through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to remember this whole thing is presented in in idea, particularly to to Peter, James, and John. They're they're Jews. They were taught this story. They are well aware that there was another mountain at one particular point. Remember that? Mount Sinai? There was another cloud. There was another. Voice, Even Moses makes an appearance, and, and Moses says what? He says, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory, your infinite greatness. It says in Exodus chapter 33, it says, show, show me your unimaginable beauty. Show me. And God says, no, 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 no. If you saw my glory, you'd die. And so what? He, he, lets, he lets a glimpse, turns his back, and he gets a glimpse. And Moses, what? His face shines. God makes it very clear what no one sees my glory and lives. But what we have to hold on to, what we understand is, is this. Moses, Moses certainly reflected the glory of God. Jesus is, he is the glory of God. How does the, how does the author of Hebrews, right? And I left this for you at the bottom of your notes. It says this in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the radiance shining like the sun. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Look at what it says. And he upholds the universe. You, You mean regardless of who gets elected as the next president? He upholds the universe and by the word of his power, and I love this, after making purification for sins, all the filth and all the grossness and all the dirts is washed through the blood of Christ and through the work of Christ. That he paid the price that I deserve. But he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. It says that he sat down, a position in place of authority at the right hand of the majesty of God. Oh, oh, so, such a word that is desperately needed, especially today, this very day. When we wonder, like, is this, is this it? Does, does everything just go to pot around us? It all just goes to hell? No, we, we have. Why the transfigure, the transfiguration was the message that was made that it's Jesus only. Jesus only is the brilliant radiance and he promises, completes, and fulfills that what? In his glory, in all of his glory, it is enough. It is enough. And we focus on that. November the 9th, we're one day closer to the Lord's return. And may we focus on his glory. Father, we love you. We know that we need your strength. We need the power of your spirit to give us the ability to be obedient, to to give us the means to be faithful. God, and we ask right now that you would do that, do that for us as we are in such need. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen.